0: Welcome to Sleep Talk, the podcast about all things sleep, brought to you by sleephub.com.au. Here are your hosts, Dr. David Cunnington and Dr. Moira Junger.
1: So welcome to episode 13 of Sleep Talk podcast series, and this month's theme is Let It Go. We'll get into exactly what we mean by that, but that's the theme. And welcome, Moira.
2: Hello, David. Hello,
1: everyone. And what's been going on for the last month for you, Moira?
2: Well, one of the a sad note actually in, in the sleep community in Australia is that just last week uh, Nick Antic died. He's a he was a, a leader in our field, a, a professor of respiratory and sleep medicine. So I just like to pay tribute to, to Nick and his work. And it's a sad, it's just a really sad thing. It's I've been really moved by that. He was. Um, so in his memory, the Australasian Sleep Association have set up a foundation on the on the request of his family to, to people to donate instead of flowers, etc. So if, if you're listening to this at the time, or even in a couple of years' time, this this will always be there. This um, an ongoing scholarship in his memory. So I would just like to we'll put the link to that in.
1: Yeah, I'd really echo that. Nick's just a fantastic person, and his energy for supporting the field and um, promoting both sleep medicine uh, and respiratory medicine in Australia mm. and overseas was just yeah, amazing. And mm. so it is a really sad time for.
2: Yeah, him he was to... really. He wasn't. He was funny. Wasn't he? he was yeah. funny, smart, very inclusive, very encouraging of me. He actually sent when he was the president of the ASA. He sent me a letter, and I've actually got it in a frame. This is before I knew he was sick or anything. This is a number of years ago, I just was so touched by the letter he sent me because I was involved in setting up the APS online course for psychologists, which we can put a link to that actually, mm-hmm. for people, psychologists and others who want to know how to
1: treat sleep disorders.
2: So this is sort of an online course. I just, it was just way – he didn't need to do that, but it was really touching. Mm-hmm. It was a really a nice letter. So,
1: If you'd like to make a donation to the Nick Antic Scholarship Fund, the website link is sleep.org.au forward slash donations forward slash scholarships. I think it's a really good cause and will help to establish a scholarship fund to support research in sleep medicine in Nick's name.
2: So what else has been happening in the in the sleep world in the last month, Dave?
1: Well, as you know, you and I have had a couple of articles in the media over the, the last month. We have. You know, we've been working over the last year or so on an article on insomnia for the British Medical Journal. And that finally got published in the last week or so. So great to see that come to fruition and really be a reference paper for people on chronic insomnia and some of the non drug treatments for chronic insomnia.
2: Very proud of that. I hope, hope it's useful to the, to the sleep community.
1: But in this crazy world that we live in, we also were in some articles on one on sleep anxiety in the age online. And that seemed to get a lot more, you know, media attraction and a lot more yeah. coverage than something in the British medical I know. journal.
2: It's very interesting, isn't it? Yeah, and people on LinkedIn and people people have been talking about it. Say, so, oh, I saw you in the the newspaper. I saw you, you know, you're quoted. Whereas the British Medical Journal article, we put a lot more work into, and it's a lot more prestigious, but no one really knows about it. At this stage.
1: (laughs) It's a funny world that we live in. And it it really does highlight the parallel universes of medical journals and Mm. that sort of writing Mm. and popular media and the writing in the regular media.
2: Yeah. Well, it's probably what brings us back to why we're doing this anyway, why initially I said yes to this. It's like, well, happy just to bring... The stuff that's normally in journals like that, or at conferences we go to, to bring it out into the to the wider community, yeah. and to people to and know it's good quality information.
1: A so nice, often to try and humanise some of the stuff that's in medical journals because sometimes it's pretty dry. Whereas if we can in a conversational style, you know, talk about some of those themes or talk about some of the research, it does make it a bit easier for people to understand those concepts mm-hmm. and incorporate it either into practice or into how they manage their sleep.
2: What about the SBS online
1: article? Yeah, there was another article I was involved with, published on SBS online, that was looking at how the brains of people with insomnia react differently. And the title was They're Wired Differently, which implies there's something broken. But that's not actually Mm -hmm. the gist of it Mm -hmm. and not actually necessarily what the research shows. So there is research showing that Brains in people with long-standing insomnia do behave differently, and some parts of the brain don't shut off as well during sleep, and that certainly resonates with the clinical experience mm. and how people describe it yeah. to us. But it's not set in stone; it's sort of how that behaves when they have insomnia, and whether that's fixable, if you like. Yeah. Or, you know, it's a transient thing. Yeah, but- exactly. So think of that as a state that reflects some of the physiology of what's going on when somebody has uh, chronic insomnia. But it doesn't mean that with appropriate treatment that can't be changeable. Mm-hmm. And there's a really interesting therapy that got approved by the FDA this year that looks to cool the frontal lobes via a cooling device on the forehead yeah. to just bring down yeah. the temperature of the frontal lobes and the prefrontal cortex and make it easier to drift off to sleep. Yeah. Now, based on all this research where parts of the brain don't switch off well naturally in people with insomnia. So look out for that more in 2017 when it becomes a commercial product. So the theme for this month's podcast is Let It Go. Now, really what we mean by that is that when people are having trouble with sleep, often there are lots of things people will put into place in it to try to really control sleep, to get sleep working as well as possible. And sometimes people feel like they've really got to be absolute experts in managing sleep. And if that still doesn't work, it's a fault of theirs. There's a rule they haven't found and something they've not really quite fixed. But often that can actually add to the problems. And sometimes Mm -hmm. the way forward is to let some of that go rather than necessarily escalating
2: that. I think so. I think looking for a like a, a cure or looking for a fix or looking for something sometimes escalates the problem. Originally we we're going to talk about this being, you know, make it perfect or it doesn't have to be perfect. We're using the word perfect, but I think even people with poor sleep who are self you know confessed perfectionist they don't really expect it to be perfect but they do expect that their control over all the things they should be doing they feel there's a fault in themselves Mm -hmm. like it's a you know how hopeless can i be if i can't even get sleep it's a basic human need so there's this really increased frustration which only serves really ultimately to make the problem worse often i talk to people about you know either searching for sleep or letting it come to you Mm-hmm. So that's in a sense of letting letting go, you don't have to chase it. You actually have to somehow get yourself into a position in terms of you know your health that you can actually allow sleep to come in. If the conditions are right, it'll it'll be there. Some people aren't going to have very good sleep very often, mm-hmm. but it may be adequate. Be good enough.
1: So to help us tease out this topic a bit later in the podcast we'll talk to Nathan Butler from Active Health Clinic. And as you'll hear Nathan's an exercise physiologist and works with people with chronic fatigue syndrome. So technically that's not a sleep Problem, but there's actually lots of parallels in both how people have symptoms, how they try and manage them, and how we try and manage them with a medical approach. So nice to get a slightly different perspective, which is what we'll get Nathan's help with. So, one of the reasons I wanted to sort of talk about this topic, Moira, is some of the cases that we see. Common case I'll see of someone who's been having trouble with sleep, and often they're young guys, you know, more engineering minded, problem solving sort of it, and their approach to the solution is a typical approach we all have of, okay, let's analyse this, you know, monitor the situation, then analyse what the problem is, then put in place a control mechanism. And if that doesn't work, repeat and put in place another yeah. control mechanism. Yeah. And so they've sound isolated their bedroom, they've yep. got the perfect blackout blinds, yep. literally built a sleep cave yeah, um, to get the absolutely perfect yeah. environment, hopefully then. To get sleep to work,
2: because that makes sense, doesn't it? Because that's what you would do generally. If there is a problem, you search for a solution and you work really hard at making that fixable. So, other goals in life, like even you know, academically, workwise, you work harder, you get the results. You want to lose some weight, then you work out more and you get the you know. It usually works that way. So, I think that's it's pretty cruel irony, really, isn't it? It's one yeah. of the few things in life where it doesn't actually work that way. So often, that's a really nice thing for people to realise that it's, it's you have to actually step back. And the solution of going harder at it or trying to chase and trying to get it into a corner where you can trap it and, you know, block it or block out light and get sleep, it only serves to increase the concern around it and the, and the problems. Yeah,
1: And sometimes that example I gave about the more engineer minded approaches about changing the environment. But another approach I'll see is people who are very constrained about what they do in the evening. And mm. you know, I've seen lots of young women, at the, you know, just in a time in their life where they should be enjoying life and mm. getting out and socialising, but won't let themselves do anything after 8pm. Because it's almost at 8pm I have to start my pre-sleep yeah. routine.
2: Yeah, yeah. I
1: can't eat this. I can't do yep. this. I can't get that light exposure. I couldn't talk mm. to anybody. They mm. you know, might not be going to bed till 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock, but there's just hours of this yeah. very meticulous preparation for sleep in a desperate attempt to get sleep. To work
2: well yeah so the first step there would be yeah to identify that it's probably not working because often I've seen people like that too that they might have done that for a number of months or years mm-hmm. or given up alcohol entirely given up caffeine entirely all those sorts of things never go to a movie later than 8 p.m or but then I say well but it does not work but like you still have the problem so let's look at another way of approaching it I was gonna say the first episode you know the first session you can yeah you can cut through Pretty well with that. People can understand that's what they've been doing, and there's sometimes quite a bit of a relief. Yeah. They go, oh wow great! Yes. I've got I can go. I've got more time in the evenings. I can do more stuff. I get more relaxed straight away, and that help. That's part of it. You know, one one component of helping them get a better sleep, yeah. letting go of yeah. the rules or letting go of the uh, because they're really diligent people. That's you know that's often why I say I, I work with such a nice bunch of people. Generally, people who are prone to insomnia they're quite driven they're quite interesting they're quite successful often yeah. self-starters yeah. and how
1: often do you see that the problem is someone hasn't tried hard enough oh, to fix their sleep ne- that's
2: never the problem is right. it? right. <laughs> it's never the problem in fact that's the that's the other cruel irony is that we know good sleep if you research you know people ask people questions what people who sleep well why they sleep well they look at you blankly and they say i don't know I've got nothing to say. I don't I just go to sleep. I don't have a set of rules or expectations necessarily. Okay. But mind you, they they know the the general rules that they should probably get, you know, they should get seven or eight hours ish. You know, they should have routines. They should prioritize sleep, but they don't think too much about
1: it. Some of the research we've published and reviewed looking at sleep hygiene, which is the common information that's out there about sleep, you know, don't drink alcohol Mm -hmm. too late, don't exercise too late, be careful with caffeine, those sort of instructions, shows that as a, a soul therapy or Doing just that actually doesn't work particularly well. No, but but unfortunately, what we find is people—that's the easily accessible information. Yeah, so that's So people right. put in place those things. They might get a small improvement initially if they've not yeah. been quite right with that behaviour. Hmm. But then beyond that, it's not working. Okay, let's. What's the next rule I can put in place? That's not working. Okay, what's the next rule I, I can put in place? Well,
2: all of a sudden, there's this. There's more rules. There's two. You know. So it's although it's very important information, and we do need to adhere to that list of good healthy sleep tips, which is often called sleep hygiene. That's really important because I think we've talked about it before in the podcast. There's no use doing all this amazing stuff but someone's mm. drinking six thousand coffee, you know, or mm. a litre and a half of Coke a day. You know, so we need to address those behavioural habits. Yeah. But yeah, in their in their own right, they are they're not that useful.
1: So then how can we strike the balance between, you know, having some rules and some structure versus not getting too caught up in that, mm. you know, as a psychologist in your yeah. <laughs>
2: Yes, well, that's this is a this is it. this is the essence really of what I do, is that yeah. there has to be an overall overall respect for sleep, like a healthy understanding that sleep is important for us. But there has to be a healthy understanding that if we keep ramping up our worry around sleep and our rules and our expectations and attributions and biases and obsession, really, it's you know because people it's been well documented that people with insomnia often become preoccupied and obsessed by thinking about sleep, like day and night, and they all nod and say, yep, yep, that's me, that's what happens. So there's an expectation to actually, or an education process in the very first instance. So specifically, I'd use CBTI mm-hmm. and also make use of mindfulness. Yep. Mindfulness-based therapy for insomnia, known as MBTI, actually incorporates CBTI anyway. And the yep. components of that are... Stimulus control and sleep consolidation, which basically means making sure you're not lying in bed for ages awake, making sure you're not doing other things in bed other than just sleeping, That knowing a very clear formula that bed equals sleep. And if you're not sleeping after what sort of feels like half an hour, get up. So basically a lot of strategies around that, changing your behavior and changing your thinking and it takes a bit of time it takes you know minimum sort of three sessions or so with with a trained therapist or hopefully a GP or medical anyone who has an understanding and some training in sleep uh doesn't have to be a psychologist, but someone who is specifically trained in, yeah. in sleep, in management of insomnia, because you can see by what we just talked about before, if you get a whole set of more rules of do's and don'ts, and you already have that in your head, it just actually accidentally, inadvertently ramps up the hyperarousal, which is the very thing that's maintaining the problem.
1: Yeah, and I like what you talked about before with respect. For sleep, Mm. and often if I'm talking to groups, you know, when I'm running workshops on sleep, I'll talk about you want to be respectful of sleep, but not too respectful, Mm. Uh, and you want to cultivate an ambivalence about sleep, Mm. and that's the tricky balance: is Mm. you've got to be respectful, create an appropriate space and opportunity for sleep, but then be somewhat ambivalent about what actually happens in that time, which takes a bit of trust. Yeah, it you know, does. You to be able to step back from that and say, look, mm. I've created the opportunity, my body will take what I need yeah. with, within that yeah. opportunity.
2: Yeah. Well, in a nutshell, mindfulness. Everyone knows about mindfulness in terms of the colouring books and that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah. But not many people understand. So the principles of mindfulness, and I won't go into it, but just to rattle off the seven, which include, you know, patience, trust, letting go, all the stuff we're talking about now, you know, acceptance, beginner's mind, non-striving, and non-judgment, mm-hmm. and so they—they're in a nutshell—they're the things. That if people can learn to just yeah to trust a little bit more, and it is—it does take a leap of faith to go off into sleep. It's actually and using the language even falling asleep. To fall down, or to you know, to jump off of a cliff, <laughs> it takes a bit of you know trust yeah. and faith that you are going to be caught. that Someone's going to be there with a net. So you have to have faith and trust and patience, really, and not you know not ca- caught up in um, x amount. I need x amount. You know, I need seven hours, or I yeah. need six, or I need eight, and I don't need to. If I wake up, that's a problem. You know, all those sorts of things. It just needs just education and realignment. Yeah. And-
1: but that's one of the important things too in mean, helping people sleep better. Some of the research shows that just straight out education has a big role to play it's mm. kind of debunking mm. myths about sleep yeah you know those common myths is it's got to be eight hours it's got to yeah. be uninterrupted you know yeah. in western societies we have that rigid way of thinking about sleep mm. it's got to be this space this these circumstances only in this time you know the work i've done in india has really taught me you know they have a pretty fluid way of thinking about sleep anywhere yeah, anytime, yeah. any circumstances yeah. and in essence that's almost so, where we're trying to get people to go yeah. when we're working with people with Sleep
2: yeah, that's right. It's a, yeah, And we can talk a bit later, but it ramps up a lot around Christmas time, which we'll give a few specific tips later in
1: the podcast. So you've heard us talking about insomnia and how we apl- apply these concepts of letting go or um, not trying to control the process so much around sleep. To change tack, we'll talk with Nathan Butler. And Nathan's an accredited exercise physiologist with a lot of experience working with people with chronic fatigue syndrome. And he's established the Active Health Clinic here in Melbourne, uh, working with clients on improving their function uh, in people with fatigue syndromes. Welcome, Nathan, and thanks for joining us.
0: Absolute pleasure. Thank you for inviting
1: me. No problem. So, Nathan, I sort of in the intro, I talked about chronic fatigue syndrome and how you work in this area. Can you just tell us what is chronic fatigue syndrome?
0: Well, chronic fatigue syndrome is a diagnosis of exclusion. So it's when you go to the doctor and you, they say basically there's nothing wrong with you from the test. However, you have symptoms that are very much along a flu-like illness. So it's common to have fatigue that's unrefreshing with sleep, as well as body aches and pains, sore throats, tender glands, and symptoms along those lines.
1: And in terms of treatment, what sort of treatments would people normally have or would you work on with people who've got chronic fatigue syndrome?
0: Within the clinic, we look at multiple treatments. So we look at graded exercise therapy and uh, forms of psychology being cognitive behavioural therapy and acceptance commitment therapy, because we find that a combination of these make a significant difference in people's management of symptoms. So we generally find that people are quite perfectionistic and rigid in their approaches, and it's understandable as most people, or well, there's large consequences for being unwell. So that if a person overdoes it, like those symptoms I described before, so fevers or sensations of that sore throats, tender glands, muscle aches and pains and fatigue, then they get really exacerbated or a lot worse.
1: Yeah, that's one of the things I see in people that I work with with chronic fatigue as well. It is a, certainly a disorder where there's a payback. If you misjudge those things and you do too much, it's got consequences.
0: It does. And so within this, we need to find a way of managing that. And we often prescribe guidelines to people. So pacing is the first treatment that we look at. And it's important for people to be balanced. But if people are too rigid in that, then that can lead to stress, which then worsens the body. And as well as with exercise, it's important to find a level that a person can do and that doesn't worsen their symptoms but I think it's also extremely to be very uh, flexible with this and make it part of someone's lifestyle.
1: So that's a tricky balance, and it sounds like structure is good and you know, good to put in place some structure, but too much structure can be bad and ramp up the anxiety about things. How do you strike that balance?
0: It's very challenging, but it all comes down to the individual, and I think focusing on controllable aspects of a person's health is really important. Because often symptoms, they can feel uncontrollable and, and especially when someone feels worse, they can be a focus. But if we focus on the controllables being pacing and exercise, as well as sleep hygiene and habits like you've been discussing, it's really important to have a good rhythm and routine, but not to be too harsh on yourself, as well as stress management as well, because having any chronic illness, whether it be chronic fatigue syndrome or insomnia, is challenging at the best of times.
2: Nathan, what about, like we see a lot of people who are often, obviously they're feeling really tired and looking for sleep really as the antidote to feeling tired what are some of the other ways like besides having to retreat to sleep or focusing on sleep what are the other ways of managing tiredness symptoms during the day
0: well i think one of the the crucial things with chronic fatigue syndrome is that sleep is not refreshing and so often people will find that that they need more and more sleep to feel better but that won't happen and sometimes the more sleep you have the more broken it becomes so people actually have trouble getting to sleep and then also napping throughout the day. So my large focus is upon education and, and teaching people around that their, their depth of sleep is going to be poor. And so that it's not about the amount of sleep, but it's more the routines and the wind downs that people have. Um, So that's the general sleep hygiene but there's a a ton of different things and I suppose actually another really important thing, uh, having a sleep deficit so that means not having quite enough sleep within the night is not going to decrease their performance. Because I think that a lot of people are very fearful of missing sleep because of the consequences that can ha- have and then they have more trouble with sleep.
2: Absolutely. It's an ongoing, it's a tricky thing, isn't it? Because it, cause those consequences are real or they have been in the past and there's that, that prediction and um, I'm wondering, it's good to hear that you use CBT and ACT as well. Do you, you, you or your psychologist there use much uh, mindfulness in your therapies? And it's part of your modalities?
0: Yeah, definitely. I think Mm -hmm. uh, mindfulness and the ability to switch off is extremely important. Something that we talk as a part of pacing and a lot of the people that we see do psychologists or do mindfulness with our psychologists. But I think sort of, you know, and and talking about before about, you know, giving people guidelines and not rules, I think it's really important that mindfulness can be done in many ways, as you know, Moira.
1: So we've talked earlier about some of the people we see with insomnia, Really feeling like it's a fault in themselves, that they haven't been able to fix their insomnia by changing their behaviour around sleep, for example. Is that something you see in the clients you work with with chronic fatigue syndrome?
0: Definitely. I think no one has a choice to be unwell. And so when someone is unwell and they, they can't get themselves better or get that support from the doctors around them, that they definitely are very hard on themselves. And I think, if anything, that can lead to them trying too hard to get better and sticking to... Uh, say a a set exercise routine or or rigidity that i have to go to bed by this time and wake up by this time and that in itself can cause other stresses which then can lead to the conditions worsening so it's something that we we find really important to work on and, and part of pacing as well yeah
1: so how do you talk to clients about that
0: look i think a large part is educating someone on their condition so what is the the contributing causes so most research is showing that chronic fatigue syndrome has a neurological origin that can lead through other systems, but still quite complex. And so talking about sort of central sensitization and overload is really important. And I suppose sometimes the easiest way for me to explain this is that if we refer to fatigue and pain in similar ways, that if someone put their hand on a hot plate and burnt themselves and their brain is telling them that that's too hot, I need to take my hand off, so, and that's a normal response. But someone who has central sensitization finds that if they put their hand towards that hot object, they'll get that pain sensation. And so it's this continual cycle of them becoming more and more sensitive, which then leads to poor quality sleep and more symptoms.
1: But yeah, I really like that analogy. And it is a similar situation to what we see in people with sleep problems, where it's almost the harder you try, the more difficult it can become, and it can become this repetitive cycle that uh, can actually perpetuate people's symptoms
0: yeah and that's why we see I think a lot of the perfectionistic people and also high achievers so I see elite athletes within the clinic as, as well as your everyday person and mm. the general the general thing that we have that comes through this is that people feel significantly worse by pushing through.
2: And is that of interest, Nathan, when you see people in your clinic, do you have do they come for say, you know, once, three times, or they come all year?
0: Yeah, look, it, it's always individual care, but generally we say to people we see people weekly over four weeks and mm. then usually fortnightly for another four sessions. Mm-hmm. And then it's on an as needs basis. But generally most people will see us and we'll support them over six to twelve months. Yeah. Just to make sure that we cover the ups and downs and the setbacks that are a normal part of recovery.
2: Well, that's been really, really useful. We're really, really grateful for your time giving us your expertise. It's been fascinating. Uh,
0: Absolute pleasure. It was really good
1: to hear from Nathan and get his perspective. You'll hear a bit from him later with his clinical tip of the month. What did you make of Nathan's interview, Moira?
2: Oh, I really enjoyed it. He was clearly very articulate, very knowledgeable, very very kind person. Isn't he sounds I don't know him personally. Only we, we obviously we refer lots of people to each other. He had a real compassion in it for the understanding of how how hard it is for these people mm-hmm. with chronic fatigue and, and other related things. I'm, think, I'm thinking he sees other people there like okay. fibromyalgia and. Maybe hypersomnia as well. Yeah, it That's, must be we yeah.
1: certainly refer to Nathan and his yeah. clinic, people yeah. with sleepiness and yeah. hypersomnia yeah. and narcolepsy. Yeah. And, yeah, they do an excellent job. And they are very compassionate and mm. really empathetic. So
2: that certainly came across very strongly, his compassion and empathy. I liked that there's a lot of crossover really with what what we're doing. That's yeah. sort of nice to hear.
1: Um, and, and I like Nathan's term of um, guidelines instead of rules. Mm. So that, that's quite nice. I, I, mm. I might borrow that and, yeah. <laughs> and pinch that technique. <laughs> yeah, I think that's good
2: too. And often, a good concept. I often talk about principles as well rather yeah. than just rules, like Just which is similar to guidelines, just sort of an understanding, a framework. You yeah. need a framework and you need a plan, but you don't need to be too rigid about it. Yeah. But, it's, but it's easy said than done, isn't it? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So our theme is let it go. And if we do... Uh, want people to let it go, what are some practical things people could do?
2: It's very important for them to actually try (laughs) to not anticipate so much, like to actually learn to just stay in the moment a bit more and to actually maybe, having said that, to have some planning around sleep as well, though, Mm -hmm. to actually perhaps in the early evening have a a wind-down period to make sure that they can... Therefore, then they do get into bed that they've already let go a little bit, let go of expectations as well. That, as I said earlier, I don't. It's really unhelpful to go to bed almost with a, your fingers crossed of I hope I get a good night's sleep tonight. I hope this is the one, I, and trying too hard with the you know what they've eaten what they haven't done and. Just letting go of all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And, and, it, and it does take practice. And people will say, oh, I've tried that, but I can't. So just take little things, just one thing at a time. I think that you had a really interesting blog that you did recently.
1: Yes, yeah, so I wrote a post on uh, rules and an approach to rules around sleep. And it was pretty simple. The, the premise of the post was really uh, encouraging people to step back, have a look at their own rules they might have around sleep, and go as far as actually writing them all down, and then striking out one rule. And if that went okay, striking out another rule to try and sort of strip back some of the rules that people develop around sleep. Hmm. Uh, and I actually posted that on Huffington Post as well as on Sleep Hub and it was a very popular post and I uh, got a lot of It resonated feedback. with people. Yeah, yeah, it was useful for people. Now another time when we do have to let go of things about sleep is when we sleep in different environments or have other challenges to sleep. With, with the holiday season coming up, there's yeah. lots of that. So yeah. what's some things to do with that, Maura?
2: Well, again, it's about you're revising your expectations. There's a lot of people I'm seeing at the moment in these weeks building up to Christmas, anticipating the Christmas holidays and when a lot of people are interstate or they're you know, staying in hotels, staying with relatives, staying in their own a different bed, often having maybe their children in the room as well rather than just them or maybe sleeping with a partner when normally they choose to not sleep with a partner. So trying, I say, let, let's let's not talk about December 26th today. Let's just stay in today, and then and it's when that day comes around. You'll deal with that night and that day as best as you can. So building tolerance for if you you don't expect sleep to be as good as it's going. I mean, it's not good anyway. Mm-hmm. It's in your own house, but the fear is it's going to get worse. Yeah. So try really hard to just expect that. It, expect nothing really. Just mm-hmm. go to bed with with an understanding of the same rules that apply guidelines, but in terms of around CBTI, that don't try to sleep go to bed when you're sleepy and tired, not just because of what the clock says. Just refreshing people back to the absolute basics of of good principles and guidelines around cognitive and behavioral changes or, you know, attitudes to, to sleep, building tolerance for, you know, having having a little catch-up rest or nap if you needed to, all those kinds of things. So staying in the moment and using, so mindfulness principles can really help a lot with that.
1: So thanks. If people are looking for more information on insomnia and sleeping better, there are some resources on the Sleep Hub website. Uh, we've previously done some episodes in this podcast series on insomnia, so episodes one and episodes three. And there's a sleeper post on cognitive behavioural therapy for insomnia, as well as some posts on mindfulness and how we use it in sleep.
2: Be, yeah,
1: so Nathan's back to tell us his clinical tip
0: of the month. Okay. I, well, I think it's really important to look at the language that we use with people. Because often within the world of fatigue, that people talk about push and crash. But thinking of a crash, I think of a mangled car. And that's not a, going to be a helpful thing in motivating people and moving them forward. Whereas talking about a setback, which is temporary, is uh, much more tangible for people and then to move forward. Much similar to using the word difficult. I mean, that raises these negative connotations. It's going to be so hard to do. Whereas if you use the word challenge, then that's much easier for someone to come on board and then work with you.
2: And mine's actually quite similar. Mine's actually around language as well. The language that we use as health professionals, particularly health professionals that might be in the media or doing social media, writing articles, as well as talking to their patients around sleep. Because it's just, it's really important to make, because there are different messages within the sleep field. As I talked about before, we need to have a healthy respect for sleep. There's a lot of information now that sleep is important. If you don't get enough of it, it could have detrimental effects to your mental health, to your physical health, etc. That's well documented. So it's but it's really unhelpful. it's just it's not the right messaging to say to put in there, you know if you're messaging that you know poor sleep or insomnia it's it's going to kill you. Yeah. And I read that today that someone had written you know, insomnia will kill you, as simple as that. And I was absolutely horrified because it's not actually true because what's true is that you need to have respect for sleep but if you keep being worried about it, you won't get healthy sleep. Mm-hmm. You have to have to, you know, address the concern around sleep, get some good professional advice. Yeah. So just my, my messaging out there is for health professionals to to mind your language around, you know, the sleep messaging. What about you, Dave? What's your tip of the month?
1: So, so my tip's a, another book that's a favourite of mine. So this is an oldie but a goodie. So it's the book's called Insomniac by Gail Green. And Gail's a professor of literature and a long-standing uh, person who's had insomnia. And in this book she really takes a swipe at the sleep community. Yeah, I've read it. <laughs> Tells what we're doing wrong, which I really like. It's a real mm-hmm. challenge to us as a field and you know sort of says she went to lots of different sleep clinics and you know just got told you don't have sleep apnea and she said look, I never went with that in the in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, talks a lot about the language that's used because, yeah. as a professor of literature, that's yeah. a particular interest. And of she's hers. gone
2: to lots of sleep conferences, hasn't she? Just yeah. just been in the audience, listening to what we on all not go just in about. the
1: audience, also talking to lots of the speakers and yes. asking them questions yes. and trying to challenge yeah. them on yeah. on various things. So I really take my hat off to her. And I've, as someone who works in the area, I found the book challenging, mm. but good, mm. and good in that it sort of shook me, you know, shook my some of my me out of my comfort zone a bit. So that's probably think about things.
2: ten years old now. Also,
1: yeah, two thousand and eight. Two thousand eight. Okay, so eight years ago.
2: Maybe we should get her on the show. Wouldn't <laughs> <laughs> it be great to speak Unless one day? Brave <laughs> <laughs> well, to see where she's at now with like eight years down the track.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. So, things to look out for that are coming up in the future about sleep. So the Sleep Down Under website has gone up for the Australasian Sleep Association's annual scientific meeting next year, and that's at sleepdownunder.com. Uh, and that meeting is going to be in October in 2017 in Auckland. Uh, symposia proposals for that meeting, as well as for the World Sleep Congress in Prague in October and the Sleep 2017 meeting in Boston in June, uh, are all due over the next week to two weeks. So if you're looking at putting in proposals for any of those conferences, you um, get Get them in now (laughs) exactly get get working on it so look out for next month's podcast which will go up on january 2nd we're going to talk about setting goals for health and sleep in 2017 a bit of a new year's resolution and kicking off for the new year
2: so thanks for listening everyone not only to this episode but throughout the, the whole year now we'd like to wish you a very happy christmas and a safe and relaxing holiday season healthy sleep of course. Send us any suggestions at podcast at sleephub.com.au. If you've got anything you'd like us to talk about, any products or topics or questions you'd like answered, we'd really love to hear from you. Also, if you like the podcast, please review us on iTunes. You can subscribe by any podcast catcher or via the Sleep Talk app. Thanks a lot. Goodbye.